0: So what we're looking at is um, how the knowledge knowledge economy is changing. Um, We'll have a look at what that means um, and what it means for organisations, because it's having quite an impact on organisations as well. And as you can well imagine, AI figures quite heavily in all of this. So let's just have a quick look at what the kind of research definition anyway is of the knowledge economy Um, and it's basically this it's where knowledge and information have become the main drivers of growth productivity and competitiveness within any economy so certain economies are still um more into producing physical products And other economies, whilst they're still producing physical products, the main thrust of that economy tends to be from knowledge and information. The use of knowledge and information could be for creating those products, could be for a whole range of other services and things like that. So there was this kind of flick that started to occur in the 60s across a a number of Western economies first. And then we started to see this kind of move into a a more knowledge-based economy Um, where a lot of the economy was based on these kinds of services around knowledge. And the whole premise of this is that knowledge gives economic power, and that's kind of behind the basis of all of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just put you into two groups by the looks of it, and I just want you to think about these kind of dates So eras of the 1960s, the 1980s, the 2000s, and now 2023. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a series of questions just to kind of as a a Kickstarter questions for you really to have a think about. So these are the questions that I'm just kind of priming for you groups for you to have a quick chat about to start thinking about how things have shifted. So what kinds of knowledge in each of these eras kind of gave you power or economic advantage. So what was it like in the 60s, the 80s, 2000s, and now in 2023? How was, what knowledge uh, had status? And what about now? Um, What was the expertise in in those areas? And who were the experts? What kinds of people were the experts? And what about now? Um, What knowledge has power and who controls that knowledge in each of those eras? Um, how would you encapsulate the thinking that was going on in each of the eras, particularly in terms of kind of organisations, business, and those kinds of thinking, and as well as thinking about knowledge and how has that changed over those four eras? And and I want to kind of look, start looking at this idea of wisdom, whether our ideas of wisdom have changed through those eras. And we don't often talk about wisdom, but actually it's inherent in the way that we think about solving problems. You know, what's a good solution to things? How do we think about things? Whether we consider something to be wise or not wise is actually a good heuristic for what's going on. And and to do that, whether wisdom seemed to change in these, in these eras as well. So... Do four or five minutes. I'll do ten minutes. Actually, that's quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of questions. Let's do two breakout rooms. Um, yeah, that works. Great. Have fun, and I'll see you in ten minutes. Right. So, um, I'm interested in your thoughts about the questions, the answers to the questions, and what your thoughts were about this progression in terms of kind of the economies but particularly our progression in terms of our relationship with knowledge since the kind of 60s and particularly coming up to to date to the 2023
1: so i will start with uh, certain points so majorly this uh, knowledge economies will allow uh, generations to have access to the uh, cutting edge technologies uh, when you are comparing with the the current situations addition to that the major uh, this knowledge economy markets or countries majorly focus on the research and, and and development there where the major innovations are are keep happening on the multiple uh, industries right so this is one of the power and uh, it will give additional economic advantage for those countries who focused on the knowledge economies
0: yeah, certainly, the technologies, as we'll see in a minute, technology is one of the one of the drivers of the knowledge economy. and technology is what's happening is it's spreading faster across the entire globe, and therefore the centralization of and the power that's held by knowledge within certain nations is becoming less, I suppose, because it's more distributed across across the globe. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Elish. Other thoughts?
2: I was with um Alex and Wolfgang, and um I assume my ring to begin with to say that between the sixties and twenty twenty-three, for me those four areas, if you if you wish, could be categorized in terms of a knowledge base, in terms of from the sixties onwards, um administrative government. Um, financial, technical, and then social. And um, Alex commented, well, actually think about the 60s in terms of the space race and the um uh, the move from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s in terms of looking outward rather than necessarily looking looking inward. Um, um there was also the observation that perhaps um how knowledge is generated used and has changed the age, whereas now it's much younger, much more distributed, uh, and has a, um, um, the, um, the ability to distinguish to... between that which is good, bad, or indifferent, and all the point for us about um, critical thinking and and and, and so, um, and we were kind of um, in throes of discussing all of that when you pulled us apart, David.
0: <laughs> Bad man. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, that's a really important point about the the importance of things like critical thinking, the importance of things like wisdom are becoming more and more important as the technology is starting to bite and, and take more of a chunk of Um, the processes that humans are used to use and and our ability to be able to operate with those technologies and think about them becomes really important. Brilliant. Thanks.
3: Other thoughts? One thing I would like to add is touching on um, the the point that Keith made. Um, You know, misinformation and disinformation are uh, also huge risks, but, but also manipulating technology for nefarious ends you know i mean we've seen the whole cambridge analytic i think you know how that organization managed to um exploit technology in such a way as to influence uh, political outcomes that's very new i think um and you know influencing political decision making and politics has, has always existed um but it was always largely embedded in rhetoric and, and speeches and soapboxes but now we can affect a much wider range of people using technology and using largely automated systems to influence people's thinking. This is a huge danger for me because, you know, when I, even when I was still at school, which is not that long ago, you know, when you read a book, books and text and words in textbooks were highly trustworthy. Mm. Now, when you read text online, as Keith mentioned and also Wolfgang a little bit indirectly, is that, you know, we now have to be much more critical of what we read because we can't just accept its truthfulness. You know, now we always have to read text online with, you know, a huge pinch of salt. And, and, and this, for me, is, um, yeah. And we talked talk about wisdom a little bit as well. So when, when Keith was talking about wisdom, I was thinking of the D-I-K-W, the triangle, this is quite famous model, data, information, um, knowledge, and wisdom, um, that thought. And then, yeah, we were ripped apart. But, yeah, for me... It's the it's the risk around um influencing thinking and perception and how technology can do that on a wide scale.
0: Yes, yeah, and and therefore the importance of education for human beings, particularly in terms of ethics, morals, wisdom, um, but but also critical thinking as well. So it's they're becoming more and more important from an educational point of view, and the ability to be able to kind of critically reason about things and have an idea about this idea about wisdom you know what is it what's you know how do we kind of move towards it um and i think that's and and using the technologies in a wise way becomes really important brilliant thanks alex any other thoughts about this
4: yeah so i had a comment on Part of the the dynamics around this and the pace at which we need to get the future generations ready uh, through education, if that is actually the best way forward to do that, and and usually finding that the pace at which uh, the educational system runs alongside all the change in technology and where the world needs to go are not at pace, they tend to be um, some of the education or where we're training people for future work uh, is behind. Sometimes mm. it lags behind. And especially with the knowledge economy, um, I was thinking particularly about narrowing down to the UK where a lot of the drive. Uh, to somehow and forgetting about manufacturing in a sense, and then suddenly finding that this is unreasonable to expect people to be driven to universities and to end up in a lot of debt rather than meaningful work, and then the apprenticeship element, which brings the practical element of work.
1: Um, just questions and and I do support uh, Alice also in this in this particular point what she mentioned because if you look at the uh, certain markets like a uh, India right highly populated market whereas the most of the percentage of the population is uh, younger generations or a youth. Uh, But apparently, when they are passing out from the university, they have the desired, you can say, a qualification. Challenges we are facing is that this workforce is not employable because of they don't have the they don't have a right skill set even though they they are qualified students coming out of the universities. As this is one of the challenge also. I can understand this knowledge economy uh, countries or knowledge economy can solve to how how to create the right skill set to the uh from the university level itself to the to the students who are passing out from them. So not only a qualification, they will have a right skill set also to uh what uh, for the upcoming challenges coming into the multiple economical uh, uh, era. Yeah, what
0: definitely. are you missing in terms of skill set? Just I'm sorry you said they don't have the right skill set, what is missing when they come from university.
1: Yeah, for example, let's say uh, in most of the in population in india right they are majorly thinking about getting the right grade uh, when they are appearing for uh, university examinations right or so they get the right grade in terms of uh, grading system but when it comes to the employable right uh, employable skill set uh, many of the uh, you know industry players are expecting those are the skill set the student doesn't have it and that was the reason the country like India is facing the major challenge. Even the, the uh, you can say higher number of the population is uh, falling under the youth, but still those youths are not uh, employable because they never able to get the right skill set because universities. I never changed their pattern of education to provide them a right skill set along with the along with the qualification. So that was the major challenges uh, Indian universities or Indian youth is going through. And that was the main reason from last uh, last one decade, many of the students from India are basically uh, relocating or migrating to the different countries, especially in the Western region, in Europe and the US, to get their higher graduations or master's degrees from these this knowledge economy centers. Mm-hmm. Okay,
2: understand.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's a whole load of issues around there, around ed- education, what is it, what should we be teaching them, and we, we'll have a look at that in, a, in another session. Let me just show you what some of the research is going on about some of these questions. There's, there's, there's another slide here that I'll send out that's worth thinking about, which is the same questions but put forward a little bit about all of those questions but for next year and for twenty forty, so we've got forty year, roughly um, uh, twenty year gaps, and it's worth thinking about those. We don't have time on this session to do that, but it's it's definitely worth thinking about next year and then twenty forty as well. What these things are likely to mean, um, and we may do a, a separate session around that. Let me just show you what so some of so, some of the research is showing around. Um, firstly, the the levers of change around the knowledge economy, exactly the things that you're talking about. So technological advances, including AI, one of the largest levers of change for any kind of a knowledge economy. Um, workforce dynamics, so how people are used within the workforce, how they reconfigure and how they reinvent themselves. Because one of the things that's coming out of the research, which you'll see in a minute, is that, you know... We, We're way beyond this idea of like a job for life because of the changes that are occurring. You may have the same type of job, but what you're going to be doing in that job is going to be changing rapidly, particularly with the advent of AI and things like that and and technologies the whole evolving nature about knowledge management, what is knowledge, what is knowledge management, and we'll be having a little bit of a look at that in a second, and then a whole series of social changes that are occurring and trends that are occurring, some to do with technology, some to do with other things, realisation, things like COVID and things like that uh, that have had an impact on expectations. And also, we've, at the moment, we've got, if I remember rightly, we've got six or seven generations that are defined generations in the workplace, which is the highest number of generations, specific generations that are seen as different than that we've had in a very long time, because the what's considered different between the generations is getting shorter and shorter. So as I entered the workplace, because I'm a boomer, where kind of the last of the boomers kind of moving out, We probably had two or three generations in the workplace because those generations, in terms of years, were a lot of years. And now the generations are, they're not a generation anymore. It's not the 10 years thing. It's getting smaller because of the changes that are occurring. Some of that is to do with social change. Some of it's to do with technology and a whole series of other things as well, which I won't get into the anthropology of that. Now, the research is showing. So, there's this study that um, I sent out last week uh, as part of the, uh, the review. Um, started to have a look at what the major changes in the knowledge economy are. And basically, what they're finding is this there's a whole load of economic and knowledge uncertainty. So, which knowledge is good knowledge, which is useful knowledge, that's shifting very, uh, very quickly. Um, The pace of change in the workforce is picking up, again, largely technologically driven, but also socially driven. There's a significant shift in the dynamics between employees and employers. Employees are not accepting what, certainly when I joined the workforce, we would accept. Um, And then things like COVID has shifted the expectations of the workforce significantly in many countries. The ability to be able to work from anywhere anywhere Global working, the gig economy, and things like that. And there's there was a really interesting paper, and we're doing a research briefing around around this: how the relationship between management and employees is changing rapidly at the moment. There's a shift towards the need for niche talent, and what was previously core knowledge workers, many of those are disappearing almost overnight because of AI. There's a greater emphasis on cultures of agility, flexibility, and responsiveness, and we'll have a look at this in a second, and and how this plays out within organizations' responses. Employees' expectations are changing, not just of managers and organizations, but work, the kinds of work that they're prepared to engage in, and what they want their lives to be like. Talent is now global, so organisations can go anywhere for talent, and that talent doesn't need to move anymore. So sometimes it will, and sometimes it won't. There are huge diversity issues ongoing because of the globalisation of talent. And the, the whole issue around DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion, have become massive, and how organisations are getting people to work together and this whole idea, we're doing a whole series on this at the moment around what too little diversity looks like within the workplace and the effect of that within an, an organisation, what a sensible amount of diversity looks like, what too much diversity looks like. And to frame that, if you've got a, too much diversity, just means that people can't talk to each other They're either in completely different like physical languages or they're thinking so differently that they're misinterpreting what each other is saying. So there's this kind of sweet spot of diversity where there's enough difference so that there's creativity going on. People are coming in with multiple perspectives. They're able to show perspectives from different places to be able to connect with different customers and yet still be able to communicate in a way that's productive and learning to do that. So learning to keep that hump to to make it as wide as possible. The nature of knowledge management is shifting rapidly, particularly with AI. So what what organizations used to own now as and and there's a lot going on legally around things like chat GPT has suddenly become everybody's got access to it and documents that people thought were private books that people thought they'd written are now available to everybody in, in lots of different ways reconfiguring knowledge and knowledge management is occurring this is a rapid rapid move and um, we've got one or two research briefings coming through around this um, this whole idea of customised knowledge maps um, and, and this becomes really quite important in terms of, um, what's, what's going on. So how we map out the knowledge, how we understand the knowledge and, and use things like knowledge graphs for for context, how we use them within things like AI systems is having a massive impact. And we'll do something on knowledge maps a little bit later on. Um, all forms of data now. So we used to have this situation where explicit knowledge was most of the data. It was simplified. We could code it and all the rest of it. With the advent of um, knowledge analytics, images are really easy to interpret, messy data. So when I started as a researcher, there were certain types of data that you'd code yourself and other types that was almost like voodoo because it's tacit knowledge, a lot of that is now becoming knowledge assets that are transferable, that weren't transferable before and weren't understandable before. Much more proactive systems and uh, advanced analytics. And what I mean by that is that a number of the systems are able to predict what's likely to come next and what's likely to happen as a result of a series of actions within an organization and be able to inform the organization that these, that these are the potential consequences of these actions. So we're seeing a lot more of this kind of proactive, predictive analytics coming out. And then we're getting, we're into an era of, Rather than mass-produced systems, customized systems for organisations that are highly customized, but also products and services that are highly customized for the customer. And there's a shift towards fit and having a better fit for the customer, but also a better fit for organisations as well. And they're the main shifts that are coming across now. There's there's a series that, that there's a lot of discussion in the space around what are the main knowledge trends that are going on at the moment the technologies that sit behind them and there are 10 really and and I'm I'm just preparing a handout f- to explain all of these and how they impact knowledge economies but also how they impact things like knowledge management as well and I'll send that out uh, this weekend so these are the 10 AI generated knowledge digital system competencies um as a knowledge trends blockchain Open innovation. What open innovation is the ability to be able to see what's going on in other organizations, in other markets, and bring that in rather than only having the only invented here kind of mindset. Information cloud technology is really starting to come into its own and and start to drive. and we'll, We'll see this right at the end as well with 5G. Cyber security and how we secure knowledge as well, not just secure systems this this whole thing with generative ai has really kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of how do organizations hide knowledge how do they protect their their uh, competitive advantage because suddenly everybody could see stuff that they didn't think that they could could be seen knowledge analytics and again with the predictive knowledge analytics robotics quantum computing um, and there's a, some really interesting stuff coming out in there. I won't dwell on it here, but I'll send a handout that explains all of this. And then finally, these ideas of 5G knowledge networks. Now, what they're doing is they're enabling large amounts of data to be used all at the same time. So there's like massive amounts of data sitting in these networks that can just be moved and analyzed and some of them are being analyzed within systems without people even knowing that that's what's going on alex
3: yeah i just wanted to make a quick point actually because this list it's really interesting but there seems to be one thing that's missing for me and that is the shift in power arising out of knowledge i don't know if that is more of an effect of these trends or an outcome of these trends perhaps but mm. you, know, you touched on it a very little bit when you talked about uh, on the previous slide uh, i think it was one of the first points you made um mm. but i just feel that maybe the shift put in political power perhaps but also this employee employer relationship there's a shift in yep. power there. Um, but also in society as well as people become more informed and more aware um mm. it's it's more difficult to you know for lack of a better term control the masses you know, I think yeah. that's maybe an element that, you know, might be missing, but it could be an outcome rather than a, a trend or um, a factor here.
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah, this 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 list so I haven't generated this, but this list is I've put the link in there. So it's come from um, a, a series of websites that are in the technology and knowledge arena. So that's where they were thinking rather than the social consequences of it. But I agree with you entirely. There's a massive shift in power. Which then comes back to the whole thing about critical thinking, wisdom, and things like that as well. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Alex. Oops. So um, I just want to just end on this. Um, So these were the main findings of a a study looking at um, the shift in. Uh, the knowledge economy and what that means for organizations and how organizations are responding and what's useful for organizations. And it came out with some some really interesting findings. So the first thing that it did was it said, look, there's, an, a num- there's two main sets of capabilities that organizations can have <clears throat> that really help them respond to this, this rapid change that's going on. There are relational capabilities and dynamics, so I'll just explain what they are. So relational um, capabilities are these, the ability to be able to basically effectively manage and cultivate relationships within the network, so not just within an organization, but within their network. So that capability to be able to reach out, talk to other people, understand what's going on across a network, and particularly with strategic partners. And we'll come back to this idea of strategic partners because they play a really important role in the development of responses to um, how the knowledge economy is changing. And then dynamic capabilities, which is this ability to be able to adapt to changing environments by, and this is it what they call reconfigurational um, resources, so that the people... And the systems and the processes and the strategies are able to be able to keep up with those changes and change themselves. And that becomes really important in this process so that we've got these dynamic and relational and these two go together really strongly. And this is what this study is showing. And there's a number of other studies showing very, very similar things that organizations need to get their head into this idea of the dynamic capabilities and spend effort on the relational ones. So what this study was finding was firstly, organizations really need to develop, think about and focus on developing dynamic capabilities. And they do that largely by strengthening the relationships with network members and strategic partners. So it's linked to that relational capability. Those, these two things go together very closely. That they start focusing on strategic relationships so a lot of the focus has been on relationships with customers and things. And what they found was that the relationships with strategic partners has more impact on the organization's dynamic capability than the customer relationships. Which is interesting when you start thinking about agile. Because agile is quite often driven by the customer. And what they're saying is, yeah, that's fine. and They're not saying don't do it. They're just saying, actually, you're going to get more bang for your buck in terms of creating a more dynamic organization by forging stronger relationships or strong relationships with your network and the strategic partners. But the customer relationships are also really important, as you'll see coming out here. So they found that that has a bigger effect on developing dynamic capabilities. The third one is that centralised and formalised organisational structures tend to hold that process back. It's slower, uh, it's harder for an organisation to be able to move quickly. And so basically what they're finding is more decentralised and greater flexible, flexible flexibility within the organisation tends to enhance knowledge exchange and creativity and tends to foster dynamic capability development. And it's how do you do that in organisations, and there's this paradox, in fact, we've got a research briefing, I think we've just sent it out, we're about to send it out, I know we're about to send it out in the next review on Friday, that was looking at this, what's known as the organisational paradox, this idea that organisations are about control, and that there's some form of hierarchy. But it also needs the flexibility to be able to respond to things as well. And how does an organisation balance that? And you'll see that in that research briefing um, that comes out tomorrow, I think. Aligning customer relationship managements with strat- strategic and operational units so that the customer insights align with strategy development and that the two take together. So what tends to happen is the strategies developed and then the customer relationships uh, affect the operations, particularly in agile things, in agile organisations, what they're saying is that needs elevating, that information needs to be at the strategic level as well, that there needs to be a balance between the strategic information that's being used and the customer information that's used, and that the effort that we're putting into this needs to be balanced. So what they're saying here is, Largely, organizations put more effort and more resources into learning from the customer than they do from strategic partners. And that causes a problem because of this finding that it's this the learning that we get from the strength of the strategic partnership that develops, it has more impact on the dynamic capability development. that this has now become critical for organisations, developing a learning orientation across the organisation. So people are keyed into learning rather than knowing. There's a difference because once we know something, if the orientations, because if we get status from knowing I know stuff, this whole idea of knowledge now being distributed. And there's a really interesting study that's just been published, looking at who, what impact AI has on workers' capabilities. And they found that AI has a larger impact on low-grade, less capable individuals than the more capable individuals. It's it's becoming a level playing field because of AI. So the the less capable ones are, are producing just as much as the more capable ones now, largely as long as they're using AI correctly. Yeah, Keith. Just on that point, David. It's um, Yeah, just on that point. If
1: you're
2: saying that. AI is levelling the playing field, as it were, um, for those um, lower-ranked employees. Um, Does that also make the assumption that those lower-ranked employees have the um, educational and intellectual capability to rise to that new level, or that levelling up, as it were? Because, from, from experience, I would suggest that they tend
0: not to No, I haven't seen any research that that happens. It's just in terms of their productivity and ability to be able to do things. So if you've got a really capable person who can do lots of stuff and is flexible and turning out stuff if, and somebody else who's less capable, slower and all the rest of it, AI is bringing them up to a similar kind of level. So it's having more impact for those people. And, whereas there's still an improvement for the more capable people, but it's not as big, it's not as well-defined. So it it is starting to level the field Now, whether, because their productivity of the less capable ones is, like, say, boosted to this level, whether they can now do something else with it, I I would agree with you. I'm not too sure that that's, that's the case. But I haven't actually seen the research that's saying that, so I'm not quite oh, sure no, what effect that's going it. to be. Mm. I'm just looking
2: at sort of, I guess, snoopy
0: assumption as well. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I think it's a good point. Actually, it's a fair point. Yeah, and that's why this becomes really important within cross organisations developing a learning orientation. And that organizations really need to focus on this because it's the or, it's the learning orientation of the organization that will predict how dynamic they are. And then it's saying, look, organizations really need to invest in dynamic capabilities, um, thinking about them, how they're going to have an organization that is flexible, responsive, and 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 really focusing on that. Um And kind of being more in touch with what's going on in the market, what's going on with strategic partners, and all of those things that we've talked about before. So, 10 minutes left. Um, Thoughts, comments, questions?
2: I thought with regards to that one about being more flexible, more dynamic, et cetera. Um, Just going back to your your sweet spot in terms of DEI. Hmm. Um, I'm again making the assumption, perhaps, that this, uh, um, this is the super capability, this super is affected by the extent to which that sweet spot of DEI exists within the organization because if you have a say uh, uh, a white male um class located business that has whatever this this requirement for um uh, being super flexible super dynamic it becomes particularly difficult and then that business becomes less competitive than others who may not be off off of that um I'm not sure
0: of, the, of, of that type, as it were, that description. Yeah. So, I think my oh, somebody's internet's going. Um, so, one of the things that, that's coming out of a lot of the DI thing, and particularly in terms of dynamic capabilities, is that a a good amount of diversity within an organisation, and there's no like set level for that in fact it kind of you know too little isn't good too much isn't good because people can't communicate this kind of sweet spot if you've got enough diversity within the organization it helps with um, creating dynamic capabilities as well and they're tying in diversity with dynamic capability development as well because you've got different minds, thinking differently, responding differently, and you've got more choices, I suppose.
4: A question on that, just a thought. I'm wondering whether with the opportunity for of, of all the new changes that are coming up, whether there's any early signs of organizations taking advantage of this?
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. There there are, and particularly in certain industries, where diversity is starting to become more of an issue because of this idea of kind of developing greater flexibility within the workplace. I think some of it's coming in through things like the gig economy, so employing more niche workers that aren't actually on the books as it were they're here for a project or they're here for a series of projects now some of those people actually move into the organization some just stay as peripheral within the organization we did a a research briefing probably about 18 months ago looking at in fact if you go into the library and look up gig economy you'll there's two or three research briefings looking at managing that process of you know organizations are trying to get their head around how do you manage people who kind of aren't part of the organization, but kind of are, you know, there's a weird kind of place going on. So we're seeing in those spaces, particularly in technology companies, we're seeing a greater diversity that people are starting to realize actually helps with this development of, of, of dynamic capability, the, the creating that flexibility. I don't think that it's mainstream yet, but I think it's getting there.
3: Isn't there another argument there uh, alongside this that, um, you know, regulation um, has yet to catch up with this? And uh, I say that, you know, the whole COVID thing, remote working thing, tax and regulation is an issue here because we're now effectively democratising the workplace, uh, going beyond borders. Mm. And all of the regulations that presently exist are designed to protect... Um, let's say let's call it a domestic workforce. Whereas now companies are starting to explore, as you said, in the gig economy. We're using it in shipping as well. Of course, we've got an international economy, but all we'll one um, a website, um, and, and and have somebody in India or somebody in Asia far east, far east or even in America or wherever do that for me quickly. But then there are a lot of questions around. Well, okay, what about tax? What about social security? So this is not catching up. You know, it's it's changing very rapidly, and I think the regulations are too slow. Sorry, this is unstructured thinking here. Um, uh, you know, maybe you maybe you understand what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I agree with you entirely. Um, and and it's not just like regulations around tax and things like that and 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 stuff. It's politicians' thinking is like woefully, you know, and you look at some of the, um, some of the questioning that's been around, you know, in in the America and things of of people like Mark Zuckerberg, and you know the questions that they're asking, and you go, you know, you you clearly don't understand the technology, you don't understand what it's doing, you don't understand what the consequences of this are, and yet you're making decisions, and um, you know, yeah, I th- I think there's a big issue here, and. And a lot of this that we're talking about, about keeping up, I think politics, particularly nation-states, political, legislative um, structures, really need to sort themselves out because they're way, way
3: behind. Because yeah, some countries seem to be quite far ahead, like Estonia, for example, I think is one country, and I believe also the United Arab Emirates have got no-man visas. I think is what mm. they call them. bad word. Yep. You know, where you can actually go there to, you know, a warm country, mm-hmm. let's say, work there remotely, out, completely outside of the economic sphere, but contributing to the local economy because obviously you're spending your yeah. money, but you're earning it outside of. The economy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah covid syndrome. really changed the changed the situations because uh, if you look at the market like a uae market means country like a uae is purely a expat market right so around 90% of the population is are expats in the uae right and during the covid there was the biggest learning in this in this region is basically most of these expats started losing their job because of many of the organizations started cutting down their workforces and they really done the decision dynamically. Said that they started issuing a uh, freelancing visas to the to these expat communities who are expectly uh get um, basically moving out of the job or possibly they are their pay skills are getting getting lower due to the covid conditions. So what has happened due to that? Uh, if if a resource or is if a candidate getting the freelancing visa, he can be a employee full-time employment with certain organizations. Let's say I'm uh, working with MasterCard. I can work with MasterCard, but I can also get uh, NOCE from my existing employer and I can start doing my freelancing work also, right? So in future, what what many of the organizations in UAE are doing, they are majorly focusing on a contractual role. Like take an example of uh, people like me who are having around uh, 20 plus years of experience. They think that utilizing us in uh, uh, project-specific uh, work rather than full-time employers, employees. These are kind of focuses getting changed within the within the organizations, and that's how the uh, the regulators also understand that, and they started allowing. Uh, uh, they started allowing this expert to get this freelancing visa, or you can say golden visa, so they can work. In- a different organization the, the sentences and uh, because of the uh, because of their age and they don't want to impact directly onto their economy so they don't want to leave this leave these skills also out of their country.
0: Mm. Yeah exactly and and there's a lot. So actually there's a lot of countries with nomad visas, places like Portugal caught on, there's quite a few um European countries um, quite a lot of Asian countries as well. so if you explore most of them, they'll have a fast track um entrepreneurial visa just for kind of two, three years, so that you can go and live somewhere. you're in you know your your money's being spent in the local economy, just as you say. You may not be paying taxes there, but and and that helps. And there's a lot of people um using that. and um myself and my partner was talking about that two days ago thinking that we might just do that next year the year after and do a bit of traveling so because both of us everything can be done right that's brilliant nine o'clock um i hope this has been useful i think the only thing to say is um happy new year for 2024 i hope it's everything that you would want of it and uh, thank you very much
2: Thank
0: you. Happy New Year. Take care. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Take care. Lovely to meet everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Salish. Bye. Take care. Bye.
4: Bye.